Wasn't sure we'd have enough water for all five, but it worked out. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Worship has evolved over the centuries. And for the past few weeks, we have been looking at different passages of Scripture chronologically to learn about worship's development. Today, we come to Isaiah. What do you know about Isaiah? Anything at all about Isaiah? Just shout it out. What do you know? A prophet. Yes, Isaiah was one of the greatest of prophets. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. Not so much a fortune teller as a truth teller. Tells the truth on behalf of God about the past, the present, and the future. What else? What else do you know about Isaiah? <laughs> and I, I heard nothing but a lot of voices all at once. Say that again, Keith. Yes. Yeah, God, there's, a, there's a dramatic call story. Isaiah is called by God in dramatic fashion uh, near the beginning of the book of Isaiah. And we hear again uh, this sense that God is speaking through Isaiah to God's people at the beginning of today's passage. Anything else about Isaiah? Yes, Anne. A lot of his words are in the music piece, uh, Handel's Messiah. Yes, indeed, inspired uh, Handel. Okay. Yes, Jesus quoted Isaiah. In fact, as I will point out a little bit later, uh, Isaiah influenced the imagination of Jesus more than any other Old Testament book. Very good. One thing I did not hear about Isaiah is that he has a sense of humor. In fact, just a couple passages before the passage that we will be indwelling, Isaiah 56, uh, in this passage, Isaiah flashes this sense of humor. This whole section of the book of Isaiah is about Sabbath worship. And there's some things going on in Israel's Sabbath worship that displease God and Isaiah. One of those things is the exclusion of eunuchs from worship. Does everyone know what a eunuch is? A eunuch is someone who has been castrated. You have to know that detail to understand what I'm about to read to you from Isaiah. Uh, listen for the pun. This is Isaiah 56, verses 4 and 5. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You hear the pun there in a little slow over here. This side of the room was quicker to hear it than this side of the room. I don't know what to make of that. There is some worship, according to the prophet Isaiah, that just doesn't cut it with God. Exclusion of eunuchs from corporate worship, from Sabbath worship, is one example of worship that doesn't cut it with God. And in the text we are indwelling today, today Isaiah chapter 58, we learn of more worship that doesn't make the cut, that doesn't cut it with God. Over the past few weeks, we have learned the who of worship. The who is God, the Lord, Yahweh. We have learned the why of worship. The why is to show our gratitude 
for all that God has done for us. And we have learned the how of worship. And the how takes a variety of forms. For example, uh, we learned that the how is exclusive. Our worship of God is to be uh, exclusively of God, according to the first two commandments. Uh, Our worship of God is to be with thanksgiving, according to Psalm 100. And the list goes on. Today, with the help of the prophet Isaiah, we learn about worship. Uh, We learn about worship that doesn't make the cut. We learn how not to worship God. The text is Isaiah 58. It's found on page 686 of the Old Testament in the Pew Bibles. And if you'd like to read along, uh, I may make better sense that way for you. Here's some context uh, for this text before I start reading it. The exiles have returned from exile in Babylon. Several decades earlier, uh, the Babylonians had invaded Israel. They had sacked Jerusalem. They had leveled the temple. And uh, many Israelites were killed. Many other Israelites were sent into exile. After several decades in exile, they return to Israel, to Jerusalem. Uh, They are now under Persian rule. Persian rule uh, lasted a couple centuries, and it was a relatively peaceful time, and it was also characterized by urban renewal, something uh, I'll touch more on a little bit later. After the exiles return, one of the first things they do is to rebuild the temple, uh, their center of worship. They rebuild the temple, and with the rebuilding of the temple comes a renewed emphasis on Sabbath worship. That brings us up to speed with Isaiah 58. 58, 1. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. Announce to my people, God orders uh, Isaiah, their rebellion. To the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if... They were a nation, better translated people or people group, what we know as nation states did not yet exist 2,500 years ago, as if they were a people that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They ask, why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? God answers, Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day. This is the first of three times serving your own interest, serving self-interest will be criticized in this passage. You serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. God's overriding concern is justice. The word justice has been called a hooray word, by the philosopher Jamie White. White writes, Everybody favors justice. They disagree only about what is just and unjust. Justice is in this sense a hooray word. Declare that you are in favor of it, and everyone will cheer his agreement, even when he disagrees with you on every particular question of what is just. For one person, justice means retribution or revenge. For another person, justice means restoration. 
Isaiah is the latter sort of person. For Isaiah, justice is restorative justice. Isaiah doesn't leave uh, justice an undefined hooray word. Instead, Isaiah names particular injustices, the victims of which God wants to restore to right relationship with society. God wants to move people who are on the margins of society closer to the center of society. Some of the injustices that we will hear uh, in this passage today, oppression of workers is named by Isaiah, violence, and then three that have to do with poverty, hunger, homelessness, and nakedness. And there may be other injustices named in this passage as well, but those five uh, jumped out at me. Listen for these injustices as we continue reading. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush? Prayer is in view here. And to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Please hear the point being made here. Fasting and prayer without action to address injustices is worship that doesn't cut it with God. Alone, they are not enough. You've heard, practice what you preach. Well, we are called to practice what we pray as well. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? The theologians Glenn Stassen and David Gushy have observed that uh, more than any other Old Testament book, Jesus quotes and echoes the book of Isaiah. Listen to Jesus echo Isaiah in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. Jesus said, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Hunger, homelessness, nakedness. It's these sorts of injustices that concern the Bible from start to finish. Verse 8. 
Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and God will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and will satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you work for justice, then you will receive rewards. This kind of rewards language may make us itchy. It makes me a little itchy. After all, Presbyterians and Reformed types have long emphasized that we are saved by grace, by grace alone even, by God's unconditional love, not by anything we do, not by anything we bring to the table. But Isaiah is not here concerned about the future salvation of individual souls. Rather, Isaiah is here concerned about this worldly injustices and this worldly rewards or benefits. The people group, say the church, for example, that fights these injustices will be rewarded. It will have its needs met, says Isaiah. It will be used in life-giving ways. I've been taking my nine-year-old son, Aiden, to uh, Street Church in Redwood City on Monday nights. I've taken him a few times. Last Monday, I decided that I wasn't going to take him. He had had a long weekend. He had had a long day. He still had homework to finish, and uh, he stunk. He needed to take a shower. (laughs) And when I told him that I wasn't going to take him to Street Church, he was crushed. He was visibly upset. Aiden has experienced how life-giving addressing the injustice of poverty can be. And the third reward, uh, the people group, the nation, the church that fights these injustices will be revitalized. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations— You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. As I mentioned earlier, one of the highlights of Persian rule was the revitalization of cities, the revitalization of Jerusalem and other cities in Israel. Social justice and uh, urban renewal went hand in hand. Here's a photo of a contemporary urban park. Anyone recognize this park? 
So this is MacArthur Park. And that's not what you were thinking of? Okay. Did anyone, did anyone recognize that it's MacArthur Park in central Los Angeles? Okay. Uh, Mike, so anyone been there? Just a few of you. When you go as a tourist down to uh, SoCal, you're probably not walking around MacArthur Park. This is in central Los Angeles. Looks pretty there, but here are a couple facts about MacArthur Park. In 1990, there were about 30 murders in MacArthur Park. Not just in this neighborhood, but just in the park. 30 murders in one year, 1990. In 2005, the MacArthur Park neighborhood was celebrated for having one of the highest reductions in crime. Still a rough neighborhood, but not nearly what it once was. So what happened between 1990 and 2005? Well, one thing that happened was the opening of Mama's Hot Tamales across the street from the park. It's on the south side, and this is Mama. Uh, This restaurant slash ministry is on the south side of MacArthur Park, just across the street from MacArthur Park. And part of its ministry is to employ low-income and uh, under-housed people as employee apprentices. These people uh, not only get a paycheck, but they get training to go into the food service industry. Some of the graduates of this apprenticeship program have gone on to be caterers. Some have started their own uh, street food carts, serving tamales and other food. Some friends and I visited uh, Mama's Hot Tamales a few years ago as we were exploring different examples of missional ministry. And we spoke with some of the people who were in on this from the beginning. And we were surprised when they told us uh, that the most important thing they did at first was not to employ and train the poor. That's what we expected to hear, but that wasn't the, the thing that was most important at first, according to them. The most important thing they did at first was simply sweeping. The simple act of sweeping the sidewalk out front of their storefront is what they focused on first. Twice a day, every day, they went out and swept the sidewalk clean in front of their storefront. And they were the only ones doing this around MacArthur Park. After a while, they started sweeping the whole block twice a day, every day. And this ordinary act proved to be contagious. And before long, there were lots of business owners out sweeping the sidewalk a couple times a day. And then the city got involved, and the whole park was cleaned up. And it all started with a group of Christians imagining a new way of doing ministry. Who imagined and funded Mama's Hot Tamales? A group of Episcopalians. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, there's the second criticism of pursuing your own interests. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, there's the third criticism, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth, 
I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Three times we have heard Isaiah criticize the pursuit of self-interest. Jesus heard Isaiah too. Listen to how Jesus echoes Isaiah in this invitation to discipleship. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves. Let them deny their self-interest and take up their cross and follow me. The closest thing we have to a sentence definition of discipleship in the Bible. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The question we face again and again is this. Will we be consumed with the pursuit of self-interest or will we empty our lives in self-giving? Will we follow the way of the world or will we follow the way of Jesus? Will we be content with fasting and praying for victims of injustice, with worship that doesn't cut it? Or will we get our hands dirty? 